Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. This is a message from historian and revivalist Ray Hughes, who blessed us over three days with his teaching. If this teaching impacts you, please consider supporting Ray's ministry at www.rayhughes.org forward slash giving. Beautiful morning in uh, wherever we are. (laughs) In uh, color coats. Did I say it good? Yeah, yeah so the right continent anyway, wasn't it? Well, it's, it's uh, good to be with you guys one more time, and I, w- I wish we could do it for, for a month. It'd be, off, it'd be a lot of fun to just, just uh, yeah, next time we'll just, we'll figure out what that looks like. Uh, and uh, also, I want to uh, thank Lynn for her uh, kindness and her diligence and and what a, you, you guys are uh, really blessed to have somebody like her in your life, I can tell you that. Um, of course, I think you already knew that. <laughs> I know Doug did. He already knew that. Uh, but, and uh, Amy's not here today. She's, Amy's the, 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 the amazing chauffeur Amy. She chauffeured us up to Lindisfarne yesterday, and we were thankful for that and had a great time out up there freezing, I mean up there <laughs> uh, going for a nice stroll. <clears throat> and uh, I think I had goosebumps on my back you could hang a hat on when I left up there. Uh, maybe, y'all don't know what a goosebump is, maybe. Y'all have goosebumps? Yeah. Is that what you call them? Goosebumps? Oh, well, real Christians, that's awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> what I wanted to uh, talk with you about some this morning, and, and I don't want to get away without also, uh, you know, thanking Aaron for picking us up the other day, and Alan, thank you, man, for letting us come, and, and we just look forward to a long, let's be friends a long time, and uh, let's, we'll just, just walk it out and enjoy it all, uh, the journey. Um, you know, I want to start off by saying to you today that, that uh, you know, the first thing that God wanted us to know about Him was He wanted us to know He was Creator first. Uh, there's, a, there's a biblical principle of the laws of first mentions. and When you find the first mention of anything in the Scripture, it sort of sets a precedence for, what, for uh, the weightiness of that definition that it'll always carry, even though throughout cultures and languages, the, uh, you know, the, the definitions <clears throat> or the uses of the word could change. But there's something foundational about that. And the first thing that God wanted us to know is he was, a, he was creator. And it says, in the beginning, God created. So it's the first thing we know about him. And if the creator created us to be creative, I want you, I want you to realize also that everything that God ever created, creates. So that's why trees make more trees. Wind makes more wind, fire makes more fire, flowers make more flowers, grass makes more grass, uh, water makes more water, waves make more waves. Uh, how far you want to go with this? You know, uh, you know God, God created six days, not seven. He created six days, he rested on the seventh, but the seventh just kept on creating itself. And as even when he got finished with his, pro, his part of creating day, day kept on creating itself. So it shows us again that creativity is not a product that's finished. 
creativity is a process that is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. And what he did is he created us, and, and, I, and I shared this the night before last, just for a sec, that, that he, if he created us to worship, that means if we're not worshipers, we forfeit the reason we exist. But since he created us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, and he created us to be creative, and there's a lot of creates here for this early in the morning. I hope you had your coffee. But should not our worship also be creative? And one of the definitions of creativity is the ability, the innate built-in, there's an ability within us to access God's options in any given moment. So what are the options that God has for us to worship with? And if all creation reflects and reveals His glory, and we honor His presence... We will find that all of creation will be be awakening something in our spirit to respond. That's why there had to be the writers and the poets and the, and the feelers, the sensors that could walk into walk into a wind and hear the voice of God in the wind. No, His voice is not in the wind. His voice is in His voice is upon the waters. No, His voice is not. It can be wherever there's those that are listening. And see, like a poet doesn't tell you that's a tree. A poet tells you how to feel when you look at the tree. You knew it was a tree. But what David, what David did is set up a whole generation of, of, uh, of worshipers that carried their creative process into the presence. And so like seven times a day when David would grab his guitar and begin to sing, he didn't know what he was going to sing. And he, but when the tabernacle of David began, he had already set in, uh, in, in three offices, if you will. Let's not call them offices. They weren't necessarily governmental. What he did, he set three functions in order in the house of the Lord. And so the very first day that the tabernacle of David began, David presented a song. But before he presented them the song to be sung, now remember, when this song starts, during the tabernacle of David, when we start singing this song, this song is not going to stop for 33 years. 24-7, 33 years, this song is going to sing. Same length of Jesus' life. Now, and before that song started, that lasted for 23 years, I mean 33 years, uh, see, David reigned for 40 years, you know, seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Zion. But as long as they were in Zion, there was a song or there was a sound being lifted up. And that sound of, that, of the song of the spontaneity of, people, of God's people responding to God is what created an atmosphere around them that no enemy could invade. So for 33 years, the Philistines couldn't attack. 33 years, no Moabites, Hittites, Termites, Parasites, what, <laughs> any, no ites had access, access to the people of God because there was a sound that, was, uh, that the enemy could not penetrate. And when the enemy, say if they did, try to move in upon the people of God because there was a bunch of creatives constantly accessing the presence of God and bringing language and dialect and lyric to it because that was constantly going on they were always ready to move by the power of the Spirit. So let's say the Midianites try to come against the people of God. Well, they would just raise up, a, raise up a sound. 
and it was actually called a death knell Selah. And that's, uh, there's uh, 38 different definitions and concepts and idioms wrapped around that simple little word Selah. Six different kinds, but 38 different definitions of the word Selah. And, you know, if you, so if you can imagine how broad it is, but it's, but it's sometimes it's translated covenant. Sometimes it means to sustain or suspend. It even means eternity. It, it has all kinds of things about what, what and what re really what it's speaking of is when the sound of the people of God are in agreement with the sound of heaven, covenant is being set in motion in such a way that there no invading enemy can shut down the purposes of God for the future because the song is carrying the power and the presence of God into the future. And, and when, so when Midianites or whoever, they would set themselves to come against the people of God. And here would come a death knell Selah. And from, from the gate of Zion you would hear the, a, a shout go up and a renah go up, a ringing, sustained ringing shout of a, a and it would be like 38,000 eagles screaming, joined with the reed pipes and the shofar. And so reed pipes, that, like a clarinet or an oboe, something that's got that grittiness to it, you know, that little, that little, you know what I'm talking about, like a, a little bit of a distortion in that reed pipe is the way it would, would come out. So it would have a growl to it. And sometimes David would even give instructions. It says, sing unto the Lord uh, upon Higion. And Higion is where we take our voices. So it's, mm, that's Higion. And, uh, and, and, and Selah. And you remember sometimes the word Selah says, think about it, meditate on it. Think about it. Hmm. Think about it. Hmm. Think of, hmm. Well, why do we respond, hmm? So there's no articulated response, but there's a known response. Hmm. Meditate on it. Think of it. Think of it. Hmm. And but then when you, when you would join the song, the lyric to, hmm, pretty soon you've got a word coming forth and an, ent an entire people going to sustain it with sound. Hmm. And that's also where some voices, some cultures even, uh, uh, African culture, you'll hear, mm, and, you know, that, that, that textured within the very voice that's resonating like that. And it's, and it's a powerful thing because it's singing beyond the larynx, singing beyond the voice. And that's when they say they've got a lot of soul. You know, they got, you know it's, uh, it's connected to the Higion thing in, in Scripture in David's day. But when, when, when they would say, uh, when they were going to lift up a shout, you would hear that <clears throat> in the reed pipes, shofars. And that sound would be, would be so evasive into the wind all of a sudden that the enemy would say, uh-oh, can't touch it. God is in their midst. And you know what they would be remember, doing? Is remembering a time when God had used that sound to wipe out his enemies. And so uh, that's where songs of deliverance come from. Songs of deliverance. What are songs of deliverance? Those were the songs. And David said, Let's, we, we surround our, we, we're surrounded with songs of deliverance. So they would access one of these songs of deliverance if the enemy came. And what was a song of deliverance? That would have been the songs of Deborah, a song of Gideon, a song of Joshua, a song of Moses, a song that was looking back, recalling remembering a mighty act and singing it again as a sound. 
even if they didn't necessarily know the lyric or whatever, it wasn't about lyrical song so much as it was about accessing the promise because anything that God had performed in the past became a promise to the future. So if you can reach back and grab that song and bring it forward, you're, you're bringing that, that, that uh, prophetic and pure prophetic now prophetic tense, you're bringing it into the moment. Now when God, uh, now, and, here, and here's how that started. When, they br- when David brought the first song out, he had already set these functionaries in place that knew how to move in these kind of musical dynamics. They were already been taught how to play the name of God upon the harp and therefore releasing the manifest presence upon the harp. They had already been uh, taught by Kenaniah. That thing had been set in order. They had learned how to sing and worship and access this prophetic mantle of their music. They learned, they learned that. You know where they got that from? They got it up on, on a place called uh, Neot Ramah, on a hill called Neot Ramah, where Samuel used to, uh, it's a place of the cottages, and there on this hill, that's where Samuel would train musicians. He would teach musicians to move in the power of the presence of God upon their instruments. And that's why, when, uh, remember when Samuel said, he ran into some feller that lost his donkey out there by the road one day. And he said, well, I'll tell you, you're just a feller in hunt for your donkey, you know, you're not a big deal, but I'll tell you what's about to happen. And Samuel said, tomorrow you're going to be going up the road and you're going to run into a, a band coming down the hill. When this band plays, you'll no longer be the same person. That is the first time in any literature, in any vernacular, in any vocabulary, anywhere in history that you find the word band applied to musicians. So the very first band that existed had the ability to play in such a way that carried an atmosphere that would change you into another person. That's incredible. And and who was this crowd that was hanging out with Samuel? And sometimes they were called a company of prophets. They were called sons of the prophets. And they were called band of prophets. But band is the word uh, uh, cable. It's, it means a cord or a line or string, rope. And kabul, rope, that means that they were coming down the hill single file, each one of them, and it even tells what instruments they were carrying. So it tells us that different tones and textures and timbers of instruments and tunings even carry something different in the spirit realm. Uh, you will experience something in the emotional, not only emotional, but neurological, and on a cellular level, some frequencies cause a different response in your nervous system than others, and some in your circulatory system other, other than others. Low frequencies always create a response in your circulatory system. High frequencies in your nervous system. So across the board, you find all of these different sounds and tones and and uh, notes and frequencies, and every one of them have a different uh, uh, numerical as well as tone and light and sound value in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew alphabet. So when they would play these things, they were carrying the, if you will, the full sound spectrum of man's ability to hear and respond on a cellular and neurological and physical level. But now the voice of God goes beyond that. Because there are, there, uh, uh, it's the sound of many waters, which is all of the f- frequencies in the sound spectrum and beyond. 
So the power of, of an instrument, God gave us instruments to magnify our express praise. Because see, I can't sing all those notes. You can't sing all those notes. But when you use an instrument, what it does is it expands or magnifies, multiplies, amplifies our ability to release the sound of our praise. And also those instruments then will awaken something in us to cause us to even respond even, even greater to the beauty, to the wonder, to the power, to the majesty, to the grace, to the mercy, whatever the lyric is and the images that are created there. And David put all of this stuff in motion so that it would sustain the multifaceted nature of God from generation to generation to generation, they would hear and know who he was because of the songs they sung and the sounds they heard. And what was their motivation for the songs and sounds that they would write? It's what they would hear in the land. And in the same way in the days of the Celtic Christians, what would they do? They would walk in the, walk in the cool of the evening and there listen to nature and listen to the birds and listen to... the creation, and they would write their music from that place. That wasn't just back in the days of Celtic Christianity either, by the way. You look in more modern history, when symphonies were born, like Joseph Haydn, the father of modern symphony, and Handel and those guys, they were put on retainers as musicians, put in functions in the culture to walk in the cool of the evening, like for example at Esterhazy, he would walk along in the cool of the evening listening to, listening to creation. And he would write his music from that place. And, and for example, there's a, a, one of the... And, and then out of what he would hear in creation, what would he do? He says, well, the instruments that we have and play are not grand enough to portray the beauty of what God has put in creation. So let's, let's magnify. And so he did. Now rather than a violin you know, and a chamber orchestra that was used to create music in the chamber when everybody's standing around, you know, uh, eating a little food that didn't look like it got full grown before they killed it kind of stuff, you know. And, and all those little environments that was putting on airs. Well, he took it beyond that. He expanded. He was hearing more music in him than could be painted with a chamber orchestra. So instead of a violin or two violins, let's have 24 violins. Instead of 20, instead of two cellos or one cello, we're going to have eight cellos. And instead of so-and-so, and what he started doing is magnifying, amplifying the sound, and he created symphony, the father of modern symphony, Joseph Haydn. He wrote 103 symphonies. And, and uh, you know, he, he would have even, had he not died, I'm sure he would have come up with a 4,000-piece symphony because David did. David had 4,000 musicians playing. Not all at the same time. They waited by course. Now imagine this, 24 courses of musicians. And every hour on the hour, you just run a fresh band in there. That's how the song lasted for 33 years. 24, 7, for, for 33 years, same length as Jesus' life. But then you had people like Handel. And Handel... Uh, was one of those also that would walk and, and hear the sound in the song. And, and Handel was um, commissioned to write a symphony. And he, he was 57 years old. He was dying. And they knew he had a very short time to live. And uh, I don't know how much of this story I want to tell you. It's an amazing story. I guess I've got time. About 
I can tell it in three minutes. How'd that be? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Four minutes. <sorry. clears throat> uh, years ago, Denise and I, we just, I think we were returning from Sri Lanka, and we'd just come to Ireland. And while we were in Ireland, uh, we were going to find this church downtown Dublin. And uh, we, we love Ireland. Been to Ireland 24 times. And we'll be going again next week, we, or a couple weeks from now. And uh, when uh, we, but we were downtown on, on a Sunday morning trying to find this church. We were driving along this little rental car. You know, over there, actually, it's more like a pregnant roller skate. You know, it's a little bit. <laughs> and uh, you don't actually get in a car over there. You just sort of put it on, you know. You'd like, and uh, so we got, we got in this little car, and we're driving around downtown. We're driving along looking for this, and we come down this street and come to a red light. Not a lot of red lights there, mostly roundabouts, you know. So we come up to a red light, though, and when we stop at this red light, right in front of us is this huge, beautiful cathedral on a Sunday morning, foggy, rainy Sunday morning. We stop there, and they're playing Handel's Messiah. And, and you could hear it just roaring out of this cathedral, and we're at this place where you're sitting at the red light looking straight at the place. When the light changes, you've got to kind of drive around it. It's, it's Christ Church. And so you pull up, we pull up there and we hear Handel's Messiah, and it's just roaring. And I think, how awesome is this? And the light changes. Oh, man. <laughs> so we have to go, and we drive, you know, take off. Well, I accidentally made a wrong turn. <laughs> and it had to bring us all the way back around, back to this red light. We're sitting at the red light again, and I'm thinking, awesome, we're going to be here for the finale, you know, the hallelujah, we're going to be there for the big note. Ah, oh, the light changes again, and I take off, this time speeding up, because I'm thinking, man, I know that crescendo is coming, and I don't want to miss this thing. So I go all the way back around, come to, up the street, and sure enough, get there, and, and, and you can hear it building, man, it's awesome. And so I said, I said, honey, just roll down the windows. And so we roll down the windows, and here's this mist, this rain, fog blowing through the car. Handel's Messiah is playing. I'm thinking, what a moment in life. We're sitting there, and, I, and I'm thinking, and I, I said, honey, can you believe this? And she said, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's when I realized she wasn't hearing it. Wow. Okay, now, I'm... I'm I'll just go ahead and tell you, I can get weird now because I'm leaving in about an hour. So. <laughs> but what happened is, is we'd, pull, we'd just pulled up there and listening to this Handel's Messiah. And then, but I did, you know, I just drove off. And I got to tell you, I was a little rattled by it, you know. Because all I know, anyway, so I went back home to North Carolina. We were living in the Blue Ridge Mountains at the time. And I went back home to the mountains, and for six months I was puzzled by that. I just know, knowing that I'd had a, a prophetic encounter of some sort. I'd heard a sound. I'd heard a song. I'd, I'd heard something. And when I started doing the research, that's when I discovered that Handel was actually dying. And wh when he was dying, in the 1700s there was a, a, a famine in Ireland, but it wasn't a potato famine. It was called the Great Freeze. And thousands had died in, in Dublin. Uh, and in those days, that was pre-industrial era, era, so they didn't have machinery and all that. They counted on the river for all their industry. And uh, their, their food, their, mil, their you know, mills and all this kind of stuff was very different then. 
It was a little bit pre-mechanical age. And, uh, uh, and, and thousands of people had died because the, the waterways froze, everything froze. There was some kind of weird weather thing happened. And, and they had commissioned Handel to write a piece of music as a concert that would be of benefit to the famine victims. So it was a, money, a fundraising thing. And so, but to him, it was very different. To him, it was his last song. To him, it was the swan song, if you will. And so what he had planned to do, he wanted to write a piece of music that was the sound of heaven because he knew he was soon going there. And he asked God to give him access to heaven to write a piece of music that anyone would hear in the earth that would hear the sound of heaven. And he even made statements in his testimony that he almost died numerous times while doing this piece of music because the weightiness and the burden of this thing that he was going through. He said that, and he used this term, he said, I could not tell if I were in the body or out of the body. He used the words of Paul when he was describing and trying to define this heaven encounter that he was having while writing this song. And the first place that it was ever played was where we were sitting at the right red light, and, there, and at the corner of Dame and Fish Amble, and if you drive just around the, you know, just where the red light's here, around, there's Fish Amble, there's the auditorium where, where this song was first heard. And, and as I was doing the research on this, and there's a, there's a thing called musicophilia, which is basically a college word for prophetic experience. And it's that there is a sustaining and a suspending of sound that's in, that, that remains in that other world kind of thing. Now, if we're going to be the people of God, we got to, first of all, we got to realize there are two kingdoms and there are two, uh, uh, there, there are thin places in this world. Uh, there, there are things of the prophetic and the spirit realm and the kingdom realm that are way beyond our intellectual reasoning. We can't always find boxes to keep God in. And what we try to do is we try to doctrinalize our experience sometimes when the fact is we have a God who is so multifaceted He's desiring to just reveal more and more and more and more of Himself rather than us pigeonhole and, and, and you know, diminish the wonder of who He is. Because every time creativity occurs, God reveals another facet of His nature, like I said the other night. And He's so multifaceted and he's so uh, multifaceted in his nature that sometimes it's just beyond our comprehension. And, and now we live in a time where a lot of things are being discovered in the, in the sound and light realm and all that. The, the DNA thing, for example, I was talking about the other night. Every one of us have a, our DNA and they found it. It's a musical decoding and your song is your song and you're the only guy that's got your song. And my song is my song and it's connected to DNA. Uh, the, the, you know, there's something wonderful about all that, but at the same time, spirit realm is reality. And there is a timelessness to the nature of God. He's eternal. And so the, and, and, but music is born out of an understanding of sense of rhythm and time. Time, space, continuum is all wrapped around, it's, it's all a musical thing, and it's around, again, a part of the nature of God. He created it to be that way. But anyway, that, I realized that that song, I was hearing it in another dimension, and it's still being sustained there in that atmosphere, carrying a promise of heaven. And now the Bible says, 
in Amos 8.11 that there was a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in the land. And if there's a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord, there's not a famine of preaching and a famine of conferences and a famine of Christian radio and Christian conference, you know, there's not a famine of that, but there's a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord in the land. And, it, and then Amos, that's Amos 8.11, Amos 9.11 says, but there, in that day I will build again the tabernacle of David. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close up the breaches between me and my, my people and people and my people. So the nations and the peoples of the earth are going to be, begin to experience the presence of God the way that it was in the tabernacle of David because God's going to rebuild. Yeah. He's going to build again the tabernacle of David. And in Acts 15, 16 it says it, says it also. So what is the purpose of rebuilding the tabernacle of David? So we can have great church services and have biblical foundation for the things we, that we do musically in, the, in church services? No, afraid not. What it's about, it's about creating a culture that carries so much of the glory of God in song that all of creation, all of heaven, and all of earth are converging around the sound of His power and His presence and His glory. And that sound is breaking the famine of the hearing of the Word of the Lord that's in the lands. Because, uh, again, you can, you can get all wrapped up in all the intellectual debates and everything about the Word of God, or you can demonstrate you know, we don't need a new definition of Christianity, folks. We need a new demonstration of the power of the presence of God. We need, we need musicians that are carrying the same thing the first band did. And they come walking down the hill playing those instruments. If you come into the proximity of that sound, you know what happened on that hill? What would happen on that, on that very same hill where Samuel was training those musicians to move in the power of the prophetic? Sometime later, there was... This, there was a kid, musician, named David, that was right over the hill, would also come up and hang out on that hill. And also, when it came time for Saul trying to kill David, you know, at one point, where did, where did David escape to? He escaped to Naot Ramah. And there he was, sitting on that hill with a band of his pickers, sitting around, playing their music, prophesying, and moving them in and out, interacting with this intuitive prophetic gift that was on their lives. And while they were playing this, there was a, a masa, like a whirlwind of God's glory about them that no enemy could invade. So Saul finds out where he's at. Oh, we, he's on Naot Ramah. Well, he sent some thugs up there to abduct David. And they walked into that app. Those thugs show up. You all know what a thug is over here? All right. a thug, these thugs show up to abduct David. They walk into the atmosphere of their sound, and they begin to prophesy too. He sends another bunch over there. They walk into that atmosphere. They begin to prophesy too. Because that whirlwind are like a bubble about them. Now, now when David appointed these, those first functions in the house of the Lord, he, he appointed Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heban. And then this other guy was named Kenaniah. Kenaniah, it says, was for, anybody know the word? He was, was for song. He instructed about the song because he was skillful. He was an older guy, and he was basically the teacher. He was taught them all how to prophesy upon the instruments. And, and he says, but he was for song. The word song, my saw. And that was the prophetic weightiness mantle or the burden of the presence of God that was rest upon the shoulders of the musicians so that when they played, God's glory would be manifest. Now David 
had a grasp of that and an understanding of that. And it was all come under the tutelage of Samuel. And so when the enemy, that's why when any, any enemy would come against the people of God for that generation, as long as that sound was sustained, they had no access. They knew that going in. And I believe that's one of the reasons that David said, you know what, we're going to, have, we're going to set up a worship atmosphere. It's a new day in the kingdom. We're not going to spend the next 30 years of our life fighting the same old enemies that, that our fathers fought. We're going to move in, 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 a, in a very different reality. And they did. And so to do that, he said, before the song starts, we need to get some things in order here. Let's, let's, he, he appointed those to thank, full-time thankers, not thankers like Kentucky thankers, but full-time thankers, yeah. thankful. And he had full-time, uh, and that was the first, first position, for, to thank and the praisers and recorders. Anybody know, uh, let me show you how a thanker works. Um, let me find, let me, let me find, find a thanker here. What, what's your name? Laura. Laura. Okay, Laura, I'm King David, and you're Laura. And so on the first day, I would show up and I'd say, Laura, we have a, have a, a function in the house of the Lord in, uh, for you. And you're going to be our full-time thanker. Now, how that works is, is on Tuesday nights, Laura is going to teach thanking class right here. And so all her thanking troops show up, and she's going to teach them thankfulness. And the reason that I would choose Laura is because I would acknowledge and recognize that Laura has been through some really hard stuff. She's been through a lot of pain, abandonment, real deep painful issues. She always rises above any enemy of her life. She rises above that with a thankful heart. And God somehow is always faithful to her so that no matter how... how how dark the days, she somehow rises above it with thankfulness. So she's going to teach everybody how to thank. And then she'll have a thanking troop, and on Friday nights, she's going to take her thanking troop and go walking right down through the hood, right down through the, where nothing good ever happens, releasing thankfulness into the atmosphere. Because we have to be a people of thanks. And, and, and so that's, that's her function. But she's going to raise up uh, you know, about, about 1,800 thankers. So that everywhere they go, they're carrying that as the atmosphere. That they are becoming a culture. And watch the impact that it's having on, on uh, color coats. <laughs> watch the impact that it begins to have in Whitby Bay. Watch the impact that it has because every time they go in a store or go in a place... Uh, they carry that atmosphere that causes people that's going through pain to step up and say, what is different about, you know? See, that's how that thanking thing would work. And there was also a, a ministry of thanks that was issued in, in the house of the Lord. But they, to thank, and then they had uh, full-time staff-paid praisers. That was their job. And this word praise is the word halal that I talked about the other night, to rave, to boast, be clamorously foolish, to act madly, to radiate and shine. So that, we're going to have full-time halalers. And the, uh, the real definition of halal just means hot dog for Jesus. <laughs> so, y'all have hot dogs over here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always have to check. You know, there's all these, <laughs> these little, little cultural things that I, that I don't know about. But anyway, 
full-time praisers that are raving and boasting and being clamorously foolish and acting madly, radiating and shining. And <clears throat> now, and that word's used 90, 99 times that's used as the word praise. There were seven different Hebrew words for praise. Seven different ones. And, and they all had different physical responses that were connected to them. So where they were clapping, singing, dancing, shouting, kneeling, whatever they were. But, you know, when we, we as in our English minds, we think when we look at the word praise shows up on the overhead projector, praise, oh, praise, that means have a nice thought about God while we sing this song. <laughs> but in those days, that's not the way it was. If the word, it, 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 as a matter of fact, the Bible never said praise. Never, never once in the Old Testament that he used the word praise. Never. You know why? Because it's a Hebrew Bible and that's an English word. <laughs> so there were seven completely different expressions of Hebrew. And they, and, but the translators just said, oh, that's, that's praise. And they'd call it praise. But it wouldn't be praise at all. It might be yada, which means to shoot out the hand. And when David appointed the three chief musicians, David appointed those, uh, the, the three chief musicians, Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heban, that they should prophesy upon the harps and the cymbals and timbrels, gave them all the sounds across the sound spectrum. It says, now when, you, when they do this, it'll, it'll, they, will, they will prophesy under the hand of their fathers after the order of the king. Remember that in 1 Chronicles 25.1. Under the hands of their fathers after the order of the king. The word hands there is yad, where we get yada, hand of praise, same hand that would touch the harp, God's glory manifest. Under the hands, the yad of the fathers, after the order. You know what that word is? Same word. It's a mistranslation English-wise. That word order it means that under the hands of the fathers, there's a, there is a a viable impartation of the order of God's presence and authority of God's presence being passed from one to the other with the hand that is a hand of praise. And it's to shoot, that, it's that yada, to shoot out the praise. The first time you find that in Scripture, does anybody know where, where it is? Awesome when you think about this. When Jacob and Leah, you remember Jacob and Leah, they had, had a whole house full of boys. Every time they'd have another kid, they'd give them a name that would ultimately wind up being the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. But when they had their fourth kid, Leah, you know, uh, you, you know Jacob's out, you know, he don't know which cigar he's going to pass out, you know. <laughs> he don't know if it's going to be a girl or a boy or whatever. And they've gone through all their Lamaze classes and he's learned how to breathe and all this stuff. But now, now the baby is born. And when Leah looks down at this beautiful, big old, brown-eyed, baby Jew boy, she was so moved in her heart that she says, Now will I yada the Lord. Therefore she called him Judah. So the very first time you find praise and, uh, with lift up hands is the night praise was born. So with the shooting out of the hand. Now what, the, what does that tell us? Most likely, you, when you were birthed, you, you were a Christian, but there come a place in your life where there was like being, being born again again happened in your life. The first time you could actually raise your hands in public. You remember that? Because <laughs> that was a big deal. I, I remember back in the 70s and, uh, when uh, you people, you didn't raise your hands in church. My, well, you know, this is, you, you might wake up God or something, you know. 
But, but you, you didn't. And the reason we don't have outward demonstrative acts of praise and worship is because we're Christians. We're dignified. And when we're in the house of God, you don't want to do things like that that would in any way stain the dignity of the church. Right? Does anybody else come from that kind of stuff? But then, but then somewhere or another, you, uh, you were in one of those atmospheres where everybody was raising their hands. And you think, that's so awkward. How awkward is that? Because <laughs> it was so brand new to you, you know? And remember, that, that was back when the, when the praise and worship movement, if you will, were being formed. And we were, we were just trying to get churches to move any act, action. That, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's kind of where right arm, left. You don't know if you're doing the hokey pokey or uh, Father Abraham, you know. And, uh, but just trying to get, and they, remember those songs when they first came out and they'd come around on that loop and we all got to yeah. clap. <laughs> Boy, and we were radical, yeah. on fire, crazy people for Jesus. You don't believe me, watch this. <laughs> you know? and, and, but that was the first time <laughs> the, the whole physical realm <laughs> was being brought in, into the house of God. Who, who, that's when God's name still had four syllables. Y'all remember that? God. But, but now remember the first time you actually raised your hands? You're looking at, you just know, because if you raise your hands, the whole church is just going to stop and they're going to turn <laughs> and look and see, what in the world are you doing? But you remember, and it probably started off, some would say, I'm just too timid. You know, timidity is a polite term for self-centeredness is what they do. And so I'm so self-conscious, you can't just, and so you, it starts like this, you know. And, and then, and then you, you wait a minute to see if there's any reaction somewhere. And then you're going to go one more time, you know. Nobody's looking. And then, then, then finally just, just for something changed. In the middle of that song, there was a lyric or there was a line or there was a sound or there was a, a knowing happened in your heart that the presence of God was, was more important than you for that one moment. And your hands go up and something changed in your life. And it was, you know, with, with Judah, the night praise was born. I wouldn't be a bit afraid to say that the first time you were able to do that, uh, there was a birthing happened in your life. You, and uh, it, it, it changed. Yada. And then there's Todah, to, to, to praise the Lord with hands. But it was a, a, a thanksgiving. In other words, praising Him for something He has not done yet. Praising Him in, in advance. And then there was Zamar which means to praise the Lord with the sound of the stringed instrument. It means to pluck and to twang the string. And it's translated praise. But Zamar, to twang, when you hear the word twang, you know that that means God loved country music. <laughs> and I see, what is it? so we got Halal, Yada, Toda, Zamar, Barak, which means to kneel and bless and to, to salute. Like if you were coming, uh, I had some friends years ago that had uh, actually opportunity to be in the presence of a show enough earthly king. And they said to, before they could go into the presence of this king, they, had, they would be in the presence of the king for five minutes, but they went through five hours of protocol and etiquette. Wow. 
instruction to be in the presence of the king for five minutes. And uh, the thing that they came away with that is the, is the word barak, which means to kneel, to bless, and to salute, and to honor and acknowledge uh, prosperity, posterity, health, everything that I enjoy in life comes to my life as a result of being in your kingdom. And when you come, and, and the way that would work, if you're going to come into the presence of a king, you walk through the door, and the king is sitting here on his throne, and, here, and here's how it would work. If, let's say I'm, I'm coming into, into the presence. If I'm walking along like this, and I say, hey, hey, how you doing, man? Good to see you, but you know, I'm out of here. You know, because I just took my eyes off of the king, and it became this, this horizontal, relational Hey man, how's Aaron doing? How you doing, Pastor? You doing? You know this thing. It's not about fellowship. It's about an atmosphere of honor that says when you come into the king's chambers, he is the center of everything, and that's why you you would walk. And then here's what you would do: you would kneel, you would bless, you would salute, and you would honor him for all of the good things that are in our life. And you find that all throughout the Book of Psalms, and for. Praise the Lord and forget not his benefits. That was about that, that, that Barak, kneel, bless, salute. How, how many is that? Six? One more. Seven is the word Shabbat. It's only, it's only seven times in Scripture, the word Shabbat, and it means to shout. And it's that, it's, it's not just a yay, it's, it's like everything in you shouting, teruah, to split the ear. Uh, is, uh, is the word teruah that was used at Jericho. And, uh, but there's a different kind of shout. This is a shout of praise unto God. It's every bit of your being engaging in the, in this, in, in the, sh in the shout. There's a whole lot we can say about that. We, 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 I'll just tell you this. There's a wonderful verse in there that says that one generation shall shout the mighty acts of God into the next generation. That's awesome. I mean, you're going to shout the mighty acts of God. If, if you're going to holler at your kids anyway, if you're going to shout at your kids, you might, it might as well be carrying the mighty acts of God on it. So you're, you're alerting the future with it. You're shouting the shout, shout of, of praise into the next generation. Now, now David said all of that in order. <clears throat> and then he put, so you got halal, praise, all the way to the shout of Shabbat. And then what was the last one? It says to thank, to praise, and here's the third function. What was it? To record. And that's the word zakar. The word zakar means to scribe or commemorate, to capture. How many of you knew about this word? It's an amazing thing. And back then, all the scribes, by the way, I'm, I'm noticing people writing. Like when you're writing, what you're doing is you're stewarding what you're hearing and you're writing what you're hearing, but you can't write everything. And so what you're doing is you're stewarding what you're capturing. Now when you go back, because you captured that, God will honor and, and reveal, uh, give you revelation that I never talked about uh, because you captured it. And, but it meant to remember, to record, to, to commemorate. And by the way, all the scribes in those days were left-handed. If you had a child that was left-handed, he will be a scribe in the house of the Lord. And you knew he would be. And because it was a, because, see, all written languages begin and end in Zion. 
all over the world. No matter where you are in the world, you write toward Zion. All written languages and lyric and poetry lands at the gate of Zion. What do you mean by that? Well, if you're east of Zion, you write right to left. If you're west, you write left to right. And so that's the center, and that's the place that God loves the most. And that's also the place where all tribes and all nations and all tongues will experience the, the, the uh, harvest around what happens at the gate of Zion. It's, 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 and, and isn't it going to be wonderful when, when Israel gets their song back? Wow. See, they don't have their song back. They got the land back. And land is always connected to song, but they don't have their song back yet. And see, there's five things that the enemy is always after in those days. And today, I'll just give you a list of the five. It's a little bit more teachy today. I hope you're okay with that. But I, but I, I, I want us to, you know, when you start digging into this stuff, God's going to give you a whole bunch of stuff that I, I don't get to say today. But I'll tell you, there's five things that the enemy's always after. Therefore, there's five things that you are, have a responsibility in redeeming. And when I say responsibility, there we have a responsibility to praise. That sounds like obligation. No, we've already got too many people obligated to church without a fascination with God. So I'm not talking about obligation here. I'm talking about a responsibility. And responsibility is the ability to respond. So when we respond to God, He gives us an ability by grace, divine infusion of God's enablement, ablement, ability responsibility is when we respond to God, He'll give us the ability to redeem. Are you with me? So carrying that idea, here are the five things that the enemy is always after. Number one, he's always after the land. He's after this land right here. And uh, land is important to God. Uh, Because land, if you get the land, and every enemy, all these tribes knew this. When you come against the people of God, we're going to get the land of Judah. We'll get the land of it. You get the land, you get the resources. You get the resources, you get the power. You get the power, you own their future. So whoever, so let me save us a little time. So enemy's always after the land. And and by the way, every time God marks a land, he marks a man. And he'll give them voice to begin to speak, whether it's a neighborhood, whether it's a piece of land to put a church on. Whether it's, whether it's a region, God's going, He will mark the men that will carry the responsibility of redemption land. Number two thing the enemy is always after is the harvest. Look how many times in Scripture the enemy, the Philistines, would come at harvest time. And when David was fighting giant, that was a perfect example. That's why the enemy moved into Azekah and Ephesdamim. Azekah, the place of the tilled garden. God's people had sown and toiled and raised the garden and raised their provisions for their family. And then here comes the Philistines, move right in on it, right into the tilled garden. How many people in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many times have you sown and toiled and and given and and you get right to the point where it's harvest time, here comes an enemy and robs and steals. You almost got the healing. You almost got the raise. You almost got the promotion. You almost got the breakthrough that you sowed to. You almost got, but here comes a Philistine. Roll in the dust, wallow in self stuff. Just come right in and steal it right out from under you. Right. It's like the old country song, I'm always on the mountain when I fall. You know, you. 
Here, here's one for you. I, I would throw myself at the ground, but I know I'd miss. <laughs> but you're always almost getting the breakthrough. And that's, and you, so the enemy is always wanting your harvest. And number three, the enemy is always after God's people's destiny. And, you, uh, and, and for just for time's sake, number four, you're always after generational covenant. See, God was so creative in, in, in establishing covenant and promise, setting in motion the song that he would sing over somebody's life. And when you look, let me show you how that covenant works. I'll show you real close, real quick here, just Psalm 89. This songwriter got up one, one morning and started writing a song. This songwriter, Psalm 89, it, the, it starts off like this. And remember, this is just the top 150 hit parade of David's time, you know, and, and, and a bit beyond. Moses wrote some and, and so on. But these are not all the songs. These are not all the songs. The greatest and most prolific songwriter of all of Scripture was not David, though he wrote 73 of the songs. But there was his son, Solomon, wrote a thousand and, what, a thousand and five songs that didn't make the book. Uh, <clears throat> but you got a guy here, it says in Psalm 89, remembering the covenant with David and sorrow for lost blessing. And, but it wasn't, this song wasn't written by David. It's remembering the covenant. A contemplation, or your Bible might say a masculine. And a masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. So he would have been one of these chief musicians, if you will. And he, under the training and tutelage of uh, David and Kenaniah and so on, he'd get up every morning and he'd give the first part of his day to writing and interacting with God like David did seven times a day. When he begins to write this song, he starts off in, in, in a contemplation or masculine, a meditation of Ethan. And the word Ethan means he who endures. Is there any Ethans here today? He who endures. And, and, and the Ezraite. And you know what Ezraite means? Out of the soil. That means to me that God is looking for the songwriters that are so connected to the land that they're writing the sound of the song of the soil and the, and the region and the land and the purposes of, of God for that land and the harvest that'll be on that land. They're carrying that as a language of their life. And they're going to be raised up right out of the soil. And just like we all were, because, you know, the, all the four elements are used to depict in Scripture the glory of God. That's why you have water, sound of many waters, also, shh, sound uh, depicting the glory of God. Water, wind, shh. You know, in the upper room, when heaven invaded, it was not a rushing mighty wind. It was a sound as a rushing mighty wind. So it was the sound of heaven that carried all the frequencies in the sound spectrum like that. And what, so there's water, wind, fire, shh, again, all the frequencies in the sound spectrum. The sound of heaven again. What's the fourth element? Earth, or dirt, and all we are is animated dirt. We are dirt that God breathed on and put a song in, and even the dirt declares His glory. Right? So, he's after, the enemy's after the land, harvest, destiny, and generational covenant. But here it says in this one who's the sound of the song of the dirt. This is 
this, uh, he, he says, gets up that morning, he says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Well, we know he's not, uh, not going to sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. He's going to get to be about 70 years old. He's going toes up and he's going to heaven. He's not going to sing forever. Now let's get real here, right? This guy's not going to sing forever. He says, but I will, but he says it here, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. How can, how can the words of Alan impact and declare the faithfulness of God generation after generation after generation? I'll tell you exactly, just the same way his does. When you set it into a song, you put it into motion, and God will sustain it as a promise to a future generation. And the song that we leave out of our life, the song that we leave for the next generation, is what enables us to sing forever and ever and ever and ever of His mercy. He says, with my mouth I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations, for I have said Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness shall establish the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. So what he's doing is he's singing the covenant promises of God. And the way covenant also works, I'll give you the just reminder here, is what happened with David when he was out there in the shepherd's field. Worshiping God and set in motion for in that same field Jesus to be born in a manger at the tower of the flock in the shepherd's field in Bethlehem. And another beautiful part of that that is, is God's not looking, you know, what God is looking for are Bethlehems, not Jerusalems. He's looking for those little out of way places that nobody's ever heard of to do something that only God can do that'll shake the nations to the core. He's looking for a people in a land that find out what the sound, what God is speaking and declaring of His glory through creation and they come into agreement with it and begin to become an extension of amplifying the praises of God in that place. That's why land, harvest, destiny, generational covenant, and last, the thing that the enemy is always after is worship. If he can shut down the worship, he shuts down the future. Because we, it's, it's completely, it's absolutely impossible for us to truly be all that God created us to be and not be a worshiper. Okay, remember how we started? Was, was, was talking about it in, in the beginning. Creator created to be creative and our worship should be creative as well. That's why David had a whole battalion of these guys just trying to access the language of heaven and sing it. And now we all sing it together. And, we're, and, and, and then you multiply the the authority of the word uh, through the song. Um, so, anyway, I, now, now, now sometimes, you know, I, I know I'm doing kind of an extensive teaching here this morning, but I wanted, I wanted to get this said and done. Uh, did I get all of the seven Hebrew words for praise for you? I did. Got all of them? Oh, I missed one, Tehillah. And this is the only kind of praise, the Bible says, this is the praise that God inhabits. He doesn't inhabit any other kind of praise. The other six, He don't inhabit. He responds to, but this is the one He enthrones Himself upon. And the one He enthrones, that's a, it's a spontaneous expression of the song of the Spirit, Tehillah. See, there's Tehillah is a song of the Spirit, Tefillah, prayer of the Spirit, 
and then tequila, just a spirit. <laughs> so, right? So, tequila, tequila, and tequila. It'll help you, it'll, it'll help you remember. But he, he enthrones himself upon the tequila. That's that song that has to come out. That song that, uh, that has to be heard. And now, uh, I, I want to encourage, uh, you know, I want to encourage a, a, a grace to be released on your life today that causes the sound and the song of who you are to begin to impact the world that you live in. Rather than the world dictating the song we sing today, what if the song we sing today begins to impact the culture and the world that's around us? That, that's kind of a different deal there. Impact. Because when, when you come forth and you, and you can impact, that means that, see, impact can be very quick. Bang. But then God's going to give a, a multiplied grace for influence. Impact, releasing influence. And you know what? Encounters with God are God's permission to dream beyond your former experiences. You know, I don't know if y'all say this over here, but we say in the South where I'm from, we say, well, when it's all said and done, you know, well, when it's all said and done, let me tell you. But the thing is, is a lot more is getting said than there is getting done. <laughs> there, there's some things in the Word of God we're not, we're not walking in. We're just saying it all the time. Well, it's time for some things to get done. It's time for some songs to bring forth healing. It's time for some songs to bring forth harvest. It's time for songs born out of the house of God and the corporate uh, God, Tehillah, God inhabiting His people and then thereby singing in such a way they get the land back. They get the harvest, the harvest that God has for them. Their destiny is realized. Uh, destiny is not about way out yonder some destination. Destiny is about the journey. And, and generational covenant and worship. And those, those are the five things. I, now, let, let me end with this. Uh, sometimes it's just the key to walking in the Spirit is just awareness. Just, just be, if you're aware of who you are and you're aware of your surroundings and you, and you step into those surroundings and Find the language of God. There, there's a place in, in Bend, Oregon that I go every year and we do a worship school there. And I take all of the prophetic musicians of the whole region and we go. I say, okay, here's the way it's going to work. We're going to load everybody up today and we're going to, up into the mountains to a waterfalls. And I'm going to teach on the sound of many waters from the waterfalls. Or we may load everybody up. And go, okay, what is the sound of your region? If the beauty in the mountains draws people from all over the world to just come and see nature here. Well, pretty soon, what, what you have is just a bunch of New Agers invading those atmospheres and bringing all their poisonous ideas. And, but they're not our enemy. You know, matter of fact, they're far, a lot of times they're far more sensitive in the spirit realm than the church people are. They're afraid to step out in the spirit. They're, they're afraid to even tell people they heard Ma, Handel's Messiah coming out of a building that hadn't been... <laughs> And, and you walk around, there's a plaque on the wall we find later. There's, uh, April 12th or April 13, 1741, Handel. First time the song was ever heard was right here around in that alley. But you don't tell stuff because you could ruin your reputation as a minister of the gospel. <laughs> right? Because that rattles people's 
rattles people's stuff. But we, what we do, I, now Bend, Oregon, we'll go, we'll go out in nature and teach worship from those places. And then the second day, I put everybody on the bus, we take them downtown Bend, Oregon. What's the sound of your city? Learn how to hear the sound of your city. So what we do is blindfold everybody and lead them on a rope right down Main Street. What are you hearing? What are you sensing? What are you, and, and, and all it is, it's just to let, and people walk up and say, what are y'all, what? and one year we did it where everybody just took a partner, and they put on sunglasses, you know, because <laughs> we were trying to be a little more discreet, you know, then. and, but we didn't want to, be, you know, you got to keep your eyes closed, you got on sunglasses, and you got somebody lead, and there's, and somebody is scribing everything that you're hearing or everything that you're seeing, you know, it's a, it's a great, you know, fun exercise, but somebody walked up and said, is there a blind school in this? <laughs> we had like 50 blind people walking up down the street. And then you want to know the lyrics? You know what? You want to know the lyrics of the place? What has been spoken and declared over it in days past? And you want to hear the, you want to get the language of the creatives in, in Whit, and where are we? Whitley Bay. Go, go walk downtown and look at all of the creatives that have put their signage on the windows and the way they communicate a welcoming language to welcome people to what they do and what they be here. And that, that, that's another way to do it. But anyway, we have a lot of fun with that. And then I told them, I said, you know, what's the name that's over the place? And, I, and they said, well, it's, uh, what's the name of the place? It's Bend. I said, do you know that in the Hebrew, the word worship means to bend, to bow, and to put your face to the ground. So this place is created for worship, not just a bunch of tree huggers, but a bunch of tree singers <laughs> that leads all of creation in worship and, and values the trees and the beauty and the, and the so on. But, but see, New Age is just recycle paganism. I'm not afraid to recycle paganism. I'm not afraid to step into those arenas and find the language that it was supposed to be in the Word of God. So what we start doing is we have to start carrying a kingdom value instead of, have you seen what they've done down the stone? No, we start carrying a kingdom value that overwhelms right. uh, 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 the, the darkness that, that's been able, been able to invade. I, I'll give you an example of that. But awareness, carry, carry this awareness, and also speak out of your experience, sing out of your experience. Uh, Let's, let's, be, let's uh, carry the wonder of heaven again into our culture. That, that's what David did, created the wonder of God as the central focus of a whole generation. Wow. It wasn't about religious stuff. It was about the wonder of God. Oh, so where is it? I, I'll, I'll, I'll read you, I want to read you a little piece of writing here. Can you, can you hear some writing? Let me, hear, let me rattle you off something here. Hang on. Don't y'all run off. Uh, where are you? Where is it? Um, this is... Uh, I, I, as a child, I spent a lot of my life sitting on the porch with my grandfather. And Grandpa was unaware. He was unaware of how long I stared at his big hands and marveled at how they rested one on top of the other on, as he balanced his hands on top of a hickory cane. And he was unaware of how safe I felt sitting beside of him in the shade on the porch. And he was unaware of the many questions that I always wanted to ask him and I never did 
because I honored his silence if his eyes were closed. And he was unaware of how much it meant to me the day that I got to walk all the way to the spring and back with his bone-handled pocket knife in my pocket. And he was unaware of the sadness and the pride that I felt when I returned it to him unharmed and well taken care of. And he's gone. Now he's gone, and, and the old porch is gone. But I have never been more aware. And that's, that's a writing that, that I did, remembering the days of being in my grandfather's presence. Of course, he, he's been gone a lot of years now. But it was the remembrance, as I scribed that remembrance, it awakened something in me to be aware when, when now my grandson sits on the porch. And last week, well, I got to sit on the porch with my little granddaughter. Her name is Anwani Laura. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation. And I was fully aware in that moment because of a remembrance. See? Now, what are the things that you remember that carried value in your life that were forgotten or wandered out of your life? Are they opportunities to bring truth and bring awareness to the beauty and the wonder of who God is? You know, when my grandpa, he would sit there in silence, I think what he taught me more than anything else is he taught me how to wonder. I was always wondering what he was thinking. <laughs> but he taught me how to wonder. Wonder and awareness of atmosphere. I'll guarantee you we're, sitting, we're in a room right now with the people that always see the hawk. You're driving down the road, there's five people in the car, but you're the one that sees the hawk. Nobody else saw the hawk. You saw the hawk, didn't you? You're driving down through there. Did you see that hawk? What hawk? There's not, there's not a hawk anywhere. But you're the one that always sees the hawk, if y'all have hawks around here, or the pigeon, or whatever it was. <laughs> y'all got pigeons here bigger than, bigger than, bigger than our people. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. But you're, always, you're the one that always hears the bird. You're the, ones that, you're the one that is actually, you know what you are? You're sensational. Because you're always sensing. And that sensational, see, we, we, oh, that soulish realm. No, spirit, soul, and body. You are a triune being waiting for the full release of the notes God created you to sing. Go ahead and sense the wind. Sense the Walk into an atmosphere. You ever go into a store, you walk in there and say, man, you know, I get a bad vibe off of this place. You know what you're actually doing? You're getting a bad vibe off the place. <laughs> there are actually spirit realm frequencies that, you, that, that do not sit well in your spirit. Well, now, you're sensing. And that's, you know, that's where a lot of healing ministries and healing gifts work. You know, uh, boy, who's got a pain in the right arm right now? Well, it's because I was sensitive enough, and my, uh, he, he will quicken your mortal bodies. It's not about one day going to heaven. There's also a mortal body. That you, he can quicken your, your bodies now. I've got a terrible pain in my forehead. Well, I don't have pain in my forehead, so somebody must be here, and as I'm sensing that, I speak that, life comes to it because I'm aware and faithful and responsible to set, step out and touch that you know this is not you know we sometimes we need to demystify the prophetic a little bit 
you know, and let, allow those that sense and feel, let, realize those are giftings in your life. And, uh, but the awareness. Not, not long ago, I was in, down in New Orleans. And uh, in New Orleans, boy, we talk about an atmosphere just, you know, just wow. Uh, you can over-sensationalize the place, you know. Uh, but I, 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 I love to be in places like on the west coast of Connemara in Ireland. You're standing there, and you're just looking at the beauty, and you re realize that the wind and the water have engraved the thoughts of God into this land for thousands of years. And you realize that you are standing in the middle of a thought of God. I remember walking up to a mountain one day in the Appalachian Mountains, looking up a face, cliff of a mountain, standing looking up past the mountain into the sky. And I said, I said, said to, to the mountain, what does it feel like to know that nothing stands between you and heaven? And I heard the mountain say, it makes me feel like you. Wow. All right. The reason I heard that is because I was listening. You know, if you're going to have these overly sensitive natures, why does the enemy use it against you? This, this should be what is giving us language for, for creativity and, uh, and worship. But I was, but I was in, uh, uh, see, my, my father was a well digger. I come from, a, I'm a well digger's son. And I remember as a child going to an old well, and I looked down into the well, and I saw the sky. And, I, and little did I know that a calling on my life was being awakened. I've been looking in old wells ever since I saw heaven in one. And it would become a part of the language of my future. I remember the first time as a child laying my ear on an old well and listening to the world's oldest music. Because I had the sensitivities and the sensibilities to acknowledge and remember and recount. And it goes with me into my future and then that will become a part of the poetic language that I carry. I, and not long ago, as I said, I was in New Orleans. And in New Orleans, a place that's just absolutely, you know, the, again, I don't know how familiar with New Orleans you are. But I, I, what I do, I always carry a journal. A leather jar, real nice one, expensive one too, buddy. Let me tell you. Uh, not, but I don't carry expensive journals and expensive pens because I'm a diva of some sort. Uh, it's just, but part of the gift of worship on my life is to capture the beauty of life and turn it into lyric and language and poetry. Right. So what I want to do is I want to make sure if it if it's not about sacrifice and obedience, I don't. I don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to write. With you know, I'm, I'm trying to be kind there, but I, I want to show in my own heart how I value. So I'll use a pen that's valuable. I made that pen. It's made out of a 300-year-old uh, um, maple tree that overshadowed the Red River Meeting House in Kentucky back in the days of the Red River Revival and the Cane Ridge Revival. I make them myself, and. Uh, and, uh, you know, they called me one day and they said that they were cutting that old tree down. And I said, what are, all gonna, what are they going to do with it? And they said, they're going to take it, uh, lightning had struck the tree, they're going to take it away and burn it. And I said, they ain't burning that tree, that's my tree. That's, that tree got some stories to tell. That's, <clears throat> it's got some songs in it. And so I said, uh, so I sent trucks and big lorries, I think y'all call them, tractor and trailer, semi-trucks, 
up there and brought the whole tree back, laying on its side, it's this tall, on, on, on uh, just the trunk, around the trunk of it. Bring the whole thing, I'm gonna make guitars out of it. That's, there's some songs in that tree. And, uh, and so that, that, that old tree has got a lot to tell about what God did in the days in those revivals. And so I, I started with it and pretty soon it got out of control and now, now I've made a thousand and four hundred of these things. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, so, and we actually, we actually sell them. I don't, have, uh, I don't have any here with me to sell or anything, but I, I, I've got, uh, you can go on our website and get them and, it's, and it supports missions. But the point is, I'm always armed and I'm ready to capture, be aware. To, and, and sometimes it's for intercession. You may be an intercessor. You may be somebody that God has stationed in a place to carry prayer in that atmosphere. And but here's what I anyway I got out I got this thing out and I started to write here's what I here's what I wrote uh, New Orleans is a place where you can be introduced to your future by a tired old woman with a black tooth smile and a feather in her hair she shuffles cards and she tells you your future and tries to forget her past while young toes tap to old tunes that hang like a ghost in the Creole air. And Mother Mary waves from an upstairs window where a plastic candle pretends to be light. And a cascade of notes fly from the bell of a trumpet and distant laughter is caught in its flight. And for one sacred moment, nobody's got the blues. What I did is I just stood there and interpreted the atmosphere that I was in. All the street musicians, and then there was the Mother Mary in the window and, and this whole thing. And, but you know what it did is then the next day I was meeting with uh, uh, all the top uh, blues players in Bourbon Street. They were having a breakfast, and I was the speaker. They were bringing all these players together, and, and, and uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, because I, I do things like that a lot. And, and uh, you know... Uh, and, and so when I read this to them, all of a sudden, I, I didn't have to become their friend. They knew I understood the world that they're from and the world that they live in. And, uh, and so what it was is my creative uh, sensitivity and sensibility created a language that now we could all relate in. And uh, there, there, there was another part of it, another thing I wish I had... I wish I could access it for you real easy and just and just read it to you, uh, and uh, m maybe I can. Let me let me see if I can try. I, these things scare me. The, uh, iPads and computers. I feel like if I hit the wrong button, everybody's garage doors are going. <laughs> go, go. Let's uh, let's just let's just leave, leave it there. I, I may go find it here in a minute. Uh, where did I write it in? But my point is, is, no, is, is if you're going to be those that carry worship into the atmosphere, uh, capture the language right out of your own experience. Tell the real story. Don't create religious church jargon and think, it, and think that's the bottom line on it, guys. Right out of your experience. Uh, um, what, you know, one of the reasons Denise and I have gone to Ireland 24 times now is back when, back years ago, I, I'd been a pastor. I've, I've pastored three times. Been in ministry 45 years. I've been a pastor three times. I'm not a good pastor. 
And uh, I have references, <laughs> I, I can tell you. But this was in one of those times that we were, we were feeling like, <laughs> we, we were feeling like we were called to, to, to go to Ireland. And the Lord began, began to speak to us about going to Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. And w- so we decided to sit down with our kids. And we sat down with the kids, and we had an old farmhouse, you know, big old windows, old Victorian farmhouse on both ends sides of the house, these big old tall windows, you know, tall as a door, but it was a window. And you look through the window of the porch, or the old wraparound porch like we have in the U.S., you look through that window, through the, a door here, and through the living room, and, that, and right on out the other window, You'd see all the way through the house. We sat down in the living room one day. We said, now, we're having our family meeting. We said, now, kids, we feel like, and they were just teenagers, you know. We said, we feel like we're supposed to go to Ireland. And when I said, we feel like we're supposed to go to Ireland, a green light, about half the size of my fist, came through that window like a laser. And this is out in the country. I'm on a farm. Shot all the way through that window, through the door, out the other side of the house, just like a bullet, whoo, through the house. And I said, and I think we got a green light on it. <laughs> when I said that, w- w- my, my son said, did you see that too, Daddy? Because I thought I was the only one that had seen that. Because that that's weird, right? But see, there's a weird, and then there's a weird. <laughs> you know what that weird meant? We don't have to pray about going to Ireland. Buy a plane ticket. You know, we don't have to pray about going to Ireland. We have a clear green light to go to Ireland. And now, a lot of times, we don't take the responsibility of hearing the word of the Lord or knowing the language or the lyric of the region or the place because anything that comes along, we have learned to use prayer as a substitute for obedience. So we'll, we'll pray about it, pray about it, pray about it. No, God spoke. He didn't tell you to pray about it. He told you and spoke to you. Now you move on what God says and you pray as you go and you then carry the language of the nowness of God and, and, and it'll change the way you live your life. Uh, we don't need one more fleece and 17 more confirmations on a lot of things that God's already spoken to us. What if it was just a matter of write down the lyric, write down what you see, and then you step into an atmosphere with, uh, with uh, the top blues players and, old, and, and Bourbon Street because I captured that expression of creativity as I was translating the atmosphere into a creative gifting, it opened and gave me a voice within 24 hours to a whole music culture there that I'd never even met before that would be very suspicious of me and my relationship with God because they've already had their church stuff in their past, right? So this is about the harvest. The Tabernacle of David and creativity is about the harvest of the, of the nations and the lands and the cities and the regions and so on. Are you carrying the sound of the song of the land? Are you an Ethan that's rising up out of the soil with a song that will be heard for generations? That's the question. So anyway, we could do this for hours, and we, but we're not going to because I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> and uh, when I get hungry, it's over. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, I, 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 you know what? I, 
I'll uh, close it up and end with one, one wonderful story of, of, of uh, one time Denise and I and a bunch of us, we were in a pub in, in Ireland, and uh, I watched this thing happen. You've probably been in some of these situations. And, you know, over there in Ireland, these, Ireland, these folks know how to party, you know. And this Kaylee was going on, and they were, you know, had the borons out and the rats playing the, you know, the fiddles. And, you know, when, when all that's going on in one of those pubs over there, those Kaylee things that they do, everybody plays the same notes. There's not counter melody and competition in the sound or anything. It's just one big sound of wall. Three borons playing the same thing. Four fiddles playing the same thing. Squeeze box, the same thing. And it's this wall of sound and just wonder. Well, while one of those things are going on, I look over at the bar. And this old, this old guy, you know, looked about eight days older than baseball, gets up. <laughs> and he, co he comes walking, walking right out in the middle of the edge of the dance floor, and he raises his glass. You ever seen this happen? He raises the glass, like he raises up his Guinness, and he's just standing there holding it. <laughs> and, you, and you can tell this is not his first Guinness. But he's just standing there like this, and when somebody sees him standing out there, the whole place goes to a hush. And when it comes down to a hush, the old man, he starts singing. Over in Killarney, many years ago, my mother sang, he starts singing this old Irish song. Total stone silence. Just what a moment. And while he's singing this, and when he gets through, he lowers his glass and he goes back and the place goes back to a roar. Just, <laughs> just, it's just roaring like this. And about five minutes later, another old guy gets up and he comes over. And he's had about probably two more Guinness than the other guy. <laughs> and, but he walks over and he holds up his glass. And when he holds up his glass, and it's, sure enough, you know what's going to happen. Everything goes to silence. And when it goes to silence, this old man begins to sing. And honestly, he's not as good a singer as the other guy, okay? Uh, maybe it wasn't Guinness, I don't know. But he's singing, it's some old song about the briar and the rose or something. And this first guy is just watching him like this. And, and while he's singing, and the song just keeps going and going, and, and this first guy is still just looking at me. And I'm, but you know what I'm doing? I'm watching this guy. I'm thinking, you know, this is going to turn it. I mean, two old Irish guys could throw down in the middle of the dance floor. Here's, I mean, this, it, you know, it looked like, what, what's this guy doing stealing my thunder kind of look, you know? He was standing there, he did, no expression, just stone-faced. And I keep watching him, you know. And, uh, and uh, when, when we, I'm thinking it's going to turn into a turf war. And at the end of this guy's song, he gets all the way in. And this guy with no expression, never moved. But when he sung his last note, this guy wiped a tear and sat back down. And I was a bit shocked because I realized in that moment that that is a culture where music is not about competition. It's about honor. And he stood there and waited and honored the song that this old man was carrying because his song had been honored. It wasn't about competition and who is this and who is See, those ideas have to be taken out of our hearts uh, if we're going to be the, the ones who carry the sound of the song of kingdom culture. One of the things we've got to learn is how to honor the presence of song in 
and or wh whatever that, whether it be song or art or gift, dance, whatever whatever it is, create cultures and create environments that welcome the creatives. Give them a language that gives them permission, pastors. Give them a language that gives them permission to be who they are and be as sensational as is necessary. And then sanctify all of that sensation and find the word of the Lord for a generation. And watch the tabernacle of David become a reality in the harvest. Get real, real. Because the, the heart of God is for the harvest. And so I just want to pray that as a blessing over this house. Lord, I thank you that this will never be a place of religious competition. It'll never be a place of religious conflict. It'll never be a place that territorialism will have any impact. Uh, we declare right now that this will always be a house of honor. And, and, and when I'm speaking of this house, I'm speaking of every house represented here, folks. This is not some exclusive something. If you're from another church, I'm speaking to your house right now. And we declare that there will be houses of honor where God is glorified. And the wonder and the beauty and the diversity of who He is will be acknowledged. And so, Lord, I, I pray that, that the goodness of God will show up in the pulpit of every church represented here. And in this whole region, every church that lifts up the name of Jesus will, will experience the power of Jesus. And, Lord, I, I, I pray for the pastors that have faithfully warred and, and stood and toiled uh, and, and walked it out for years and for those intercessors behind them. Because these are the ones now that are standing up and becoming a continuation of the prayers prayed and the prophecies promised in all those days, years gone past. And Lord, I just thank you for a new and fresh expression of your glory in this, in this region. And Lord, I pray for a great release of creativity upon the worship leaders and upon the songwriters and upon the, the musicians and the drummers and the, and, the, and the guitar players and the keyboard and piano players, the artists, all of them, Lord. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that something shift in the spirit realm right now, that something would shift that would cause us to remember and be aware of the mighty acts of God in days past so that we'll see the dreams of God fulfilled in our destinies as we walk this thing out. Lord, I pray that, that signs and wonders will become a part of the, our individual walks and our corporate gatherings. I pray, Lord, that, that signs and wonders will begin to alert this whole region that God is in the midst and something, is, something has changed. Something has changed in, in, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, you cannot walk down here to the sea, and when that wave comes in, it's not the same wave that goes out. Something changed. And, and while you were standing there, you are also changed. You're not the same person that walked up beside of the water. And so, Lord, we ask for wave after wave after wave after wave of your glory to come to Whitby, Whitley Bay and, and, and to, uh, to Newcastle and, and to uh, all up and down through here, uh, uh, Tinmouth, uh, all, all up and down there, Tinemouth, Tinmouth, whatever it is, all the way up and down this coastline right here, Lord, we're asking for wave after wave after wave of your glory to, uh, to come carrying the wonder of your promises, that, bre that bread that has been cast upon the waters generations ago, coming back during this one, Lord. We just speak that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless y'all.